630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Riley drops back, looks, looks, dances and throws, and he's going deep down the field. Oh, what a catch by Darrell Walker, who skipped his way to the end zone. Rebound comes off the boards, two on two Oilers. McDavid has a step to the net, back hitter towards side, he scores! Connor McDavid scores both goals tonight! It's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. How are you doing tonight? As always, when we have nasty weather in the area, we rely on you. Yes, this is, is, uh, this is Inside Sports, but uh, we need your eyes and ears out there as well to help others in the area stay abreast of the weather. So don't hesitate to text 630-630 if there is uh, some kind of significant weather in your area, in your part of town. And, of course, our newsroom number, 780-466-6397, 780-466-NEWS. From a sports point of view, we have lots of hockey talk tonight. We'll see what the Oilers might be thinking as they head into the draft, the draft combine going on in Buffalo. Tip-off time in the NBA Finals. Once again, Golden State against Cleveland. And we'll talk a little football too. The Eskimos getting ready for that mock game tomorrow night, then Fan Day at Clark on Saturday. Of course, uh, fans welcome to attend both events. The mock game is tomorrow night at Commonwealth. I will be there doing inside sports from that game. And how is your old buddy Chris Jones doing in Saskatchewan as coach of the Rough Riders? Jamie Nye will have the update there. Going to bring in Jack Michaels from the uh, Oilers broadcast booth, our play-by-play voice here on Chet and the Oilers radio network. Just want to quickly, um, a couple quick thoughts here on uh, on basketball and sort of a bigger picture, what this could mean for the city of Cleveland. I, I don't know if any of you have uh, saw this. I, I think it originally aired a couple of weeks ago. I saw it on one of the TSN channels last night, a 30 for 30 documentary called Believe Land about the city of of Cleveland. Cavaliers joined the association in 1970. They have never won the title. The Browns were a very good team in the NFL before the Super Bowl era. Haven't won anything since 1964. Obviously in that time they lost their team for a couple of years before getting them back. The Cleveland Indians have not won the World Series since 1948. Uh, The Barons of the American Hockey League last won a Calder Cup in 1964. Of course, that's a franchise that doesn't exist anymore. Along the way, of course, the Cavaliers, Browns, and Indians have all suffered devastating, heartbreaking losses. And uh, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, here's, here's the thing. If not for LeBron James, I'm probably hoping Cleveland finally gets a championship. The thing is, I, I'm not sure if I want LeBron James to win again. He already got a couple as we bring in Jack Michaels from the Oilers Radio Network. Jack, thanks for making time for me tonight, buddy. How are you doing? Oh, absolutely. I'm doing well. And, uh, you know, we're looking out at a a beautiful uh, vista of Buffalo, New York. It actually is absolutely gorgeous here tonight. Just made our way across the border and getting ready for another NHL combine. And, uh, you know, the latest uh, news, as you know, Reed. Uh, Matt Kachuk, not surprisingly, um, not going to participate in the fitness testing. Badly sprained ankle. We all know he was dealing with that throughout London's playoff run, and I think he's proven all he needs to on the ice. 
Well, obviously the biggest goal you could possibly score at the Memorial Cup, getting over that sprained ankle. So, yeah, you're right. He won't do the fitness testing. And there's so much speculation, and we've we've known for a few weeks now, the Oilers have that fourth overall pick. And it, it seems maybe, maybe, that the the sentiment and the uh, the air of of prediction around this pick has have, has shifted a little bit. Uh, I I know our colleague Bob Stoffer putting out today that it would it would take a pretty big uh, significant package for the Oilers to trade down. I mean, at first it's a Peter Shirelli very much open for business, open for business. Uh, you don't want to improve the team, and now you wonder if okay, we recognize what Kachuk is, what he can do. If he can't play in the NHL this year, maybe next year, maybe it's to, maybe today, and and it, this could change over the weeks to come, too. But maybe today it seems the Oilers a little more likely to hang on to that pick. Well, and the other thing that we don't know is is maybe there's another reason. I mean, not just the Kachuk's ability to play, or or the fact that there might be you know a significant drop off once you get past Kachuk and Dubois, but also. You know, maybe the feelers have gone out and the reception has come back somewhat cold in terms of what Shirelli perceives as, you know, enough value in return to merit trading that fourth pick. I mean, that's the other thing that, that you know, might be happening. I mean, trust me, uh, it's not like he's just now saying, well, all right, let's see what I can get for the fourth overall pick. I mean, I'm sure he's investigated what's out there. Uh, what are possibilities in terms of a package coming back involving the fourth overall pick? We can also safely assume that, you know, he, he's explored what, what it would take to bring in, a, you know, a top parent or a top three uh, defenseman who can move the puck and can produce 45 to 50 points, uh, you know, in a given season reliably from the Edmonton Oilers back end. And, you know, the cost of that perhaps, uh, in his estimation, was too high at this particular point in time, and maybe that's why uh, you know Bob's kind of letting people know that uh, it's it's going to take a lot to move the fourth overall pick. So that's the other thing. I mean, there's a lot of jockeying. There's a lot of uh, deals that no doubt will come across the table, and there's a lot of discussions that Peter Shirelli is going to have leading up to the draft. I, I still think very much anything is possible. And if someone steps up to the plate later in the game, uh, it wouldn't surprise me. And that's simply because we're still three weeks away from the draft. You're not going to get the best offer for anything uh, included in a number four overall pick package now. But you may get it in three weeks. There's not the sense of urgency now that there is going to be as we get closer and closer uh, to that day where – where the Oilers will once again uh, be faced with a position, do you step up and, and take the fourth overall pick, or do you move it in a package? Remember, we were talking about this very same thing in 2013, and the Oilers ended up stepping up and making the seventh overall pick in the draft. And to some, it was a bit of a surprise who they selected in terms of Darnell Nurse. For me, I had gotten kind of the vibe early on from Craig McTavish that he was a big fan of Darnell Nurse. But again, this is the kind of year similar to 2013, uh, where that pick uh, certainly could be in play. I still think it's a distinct possibility, Reed. I I just don't think you're going to get an offer that necessarily knocks your socks off or at least lends you to serious consideration now the 1st of June as opposed to maybe three weeks from now. Jack Michaels, play-by-play voice for the Oilers on the Oilers Radio Network, joining us on Inside Sports. It is 6-13. Jack in uh, Buffalo for the NHL Draft Combine. 
Jack, I have never covered the Combine firsthand. You have before. I, I know probably the interviews, well, not probably, I, I think the interviews are really important to these teams, meet these meet these young men, and they've met most of them before, but really sit down and chat with them and, and get a sense of where they think their careers are headed, how, how they focus on hockey and all that kind of stuff. Um, well, what's it like being there and seeing some of the – the testing. I mean, I remember talking to Curtis Lazar after he was drafted. He was a great oil king, of course, and saying he did this kind of weird eye tracking exercise with a joystick and a dot and all that kind of stuff. I mean, what's your actual? And I know you're not sitting in on on, on that, but what is the vibe like there? And uh, is there a nerve level for some of the prospects that they're dealing with? What can you tell us? I think so. I think for more the the long range guys, guys who can maybe, you know, pump up their stock with a bit of a good showing at the Combine. In my estimation, Reed, at least in terms of the actual testing, you can help yourself a lot more than you can hurt yourself. Because, uh, you know, I just don't think the, you know, the stock and the things that are done here is the same degree of stock as, say, the NFL Combine, to use that as a comparison you know, where if a guy all of a sudden drops like a 4940 or a, you know, 4840, his stock is going to drop. I mean, I think there's more stock, generally speaking, put into the testing that occurs in Indianapolis at the NFL combine uh, than, than here uh, with respect to the NHL combine. I do think your point about the interviews, that's what people are here uh, to glean from. It's another opportunity for these general managers and, and senior hockey officials to sit down and just size up uh, these guys that they're eventually going to invest significantly in one more time. It's another tool that they can put in the box. What kind of vibe did I get from this guy? And that's why, you know, Kachuk's a perfect example. He's done all he needs to do on the ice. Whether or not he could, you know, get his shuttle run at a certain time level is, is immaterial. What what the managers are going to want to see is what kind of, what kind of a kid is is Matt Kachuk, what's important to him. And I think he's already kind of demonstrated what's important to him, the fact that he was playing on, on half a leg and was able to gut it out and, and grind his way and push his team over the finish line. Um, that's just to use one example. But, again, I think the meeting aspect, Reed, is, is far more important than any of the uh, significant testing you'll see. But similar to you know stuff we've heard about the Wonderlick test, Right. Like that there are some bizarre things, whether it be eye tracking or or a question that comes off the wall. Whenever you talk to these prospects at the end of this circuit, they'll inevitably tell you that yeah, there are a couple of bizarre questions that I was not anticipating coming into this weekend. All right, uh, I want to wrap up on on a, on a different topic, and I was I was talking about this a little bit off the top, but I, and I think we lost you on the line there for a second. But I was given the details. I don't know if you saw the thirty for thirty, uh, Believe I Land. I I, I yeah. did. Trust me, I I made sure. In Canada, it's made its debut about a week later, but I definitely had it set up and, and watched it. Didn't enjoy it. it. It brought back some real painful memories, and, and you have to feel terrible for some of the Browns on there. And I, I do remember the shot over Craig Elo, and I know where you're going with this. Cleveland, uh, another crack at securing its first uh, pro championship in uh, in, two, in what, I guess it's 52 years now. And, Reed, we might as well disagree again. I mean, I, And I'm going to go the reverse, uh, just like you did with my Stanley Cup pick. You went Sharks in five. I'm going to go uh, Cavs in six. I, I think 
Cleveland took Golden State to six last year, and they were without Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love. Those two guys are back, playing effectively. Granted, I know where you're going with it. The Eastern Conference is about as atrocious a playoff field as has ever existed in the history of the four major professional sports. I'm sorry, but the Toronto Raptors may very well be the worst conference finals team in the history of any sport to get to the Final Four. They might right be that. You know what I'm thinking of is they were what was that George Mason that made the Final Four that one year yes, in college basketball as an eleven and Penn made it the year Magic Johnson and Michigan State won it. Penn got there and I think they got blown out by 33 in the NCAA semifinals. So that's where I kind of put Toronto. <laughs> Cleveland is not at any competition, but they're healthier. Golden State's a little beat up, and like the St. Louis Blues, the Warriors were extended a bit in their last couple series. And I think Cleveland's going to find Golden State's gas tank is is heading towards empty as we get deeper into the series. And I think there's going to be some justice for Cleveland sports fans, as I expect LeBron James and the Cavs to wrap it up on their home floor in Game Six. All right. Well, it's going to be. I'm actually. I mean, as you know, I'm not. I'm not a huge basketball fan, uh, but I have enjoyed the NBA playoffs and this series. Uh, it, it has. Here's the here's the thing that I've said, Jack. Uh, I said this late in the regular season. I can certainly remember because I was in my early 20s when when Chicago won the 72 games and Golden State now this year won 73. That Bulls team to me was a big corporation that came in and squashed you, whereas the Golden State Warriors play with a little more of the joie de vivre and uh, are a little more of that up-tempo, uh, you know, your neighborhood team that's going out and beating all the big boys. So I, 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 and now I'd, I'd like to see how they've progressed through the playoffs and how they've dealt with some challenges. By the way, I said Brendan Ulrich had San Jose in five. I had San Jose in six, Jack. I'm going to be that oh, guy right, like right. I always am to I'll you. Let, Still possible, let, buddy. <laughs> I'll let you. I'll let you off the hook. Yeah, it's still possible. Okay, I, I see where you're going with that. Um, so one thing I'll say is, and I should clarify, I used to be a huge NBA guy in the '80s, and and right through when Jordan retired in '98, yeah. I was a big NBA fan. Um, and I will give a lot of credit to Golden State for reinvigorating my interest in the NBA. I've watched more NBA over the last 18 months than the previous decade combined. Certainly not Cleveland's style of basketball that I'll be pulling for. It's more the fact that I'm from, you know, the general area and, and have been a Cleveland sports fan all my life. But Golden State has eminently the more appealing team. And the only thing I I'd say is I think you're confusing Chicago to some degree. Remember, Chicago was the team that kind of led the NBA was kind of getting into the scrum a bit with with Detroit and then the New York Knicks. Chicago had some high flyers. I mean, they generally played you know, oh. relatively up-tempo basketball. I don't, yes. want, I don't want you to paint the picture. No, no. They were kind of a pound the ball into the no, floor no. type of team the way Detroit and New York were. That's not what I meant. I, I meant that where they were in in the, they'd already they'd already had a three-peat. They were in the middle of another three-peat. I mean, they, they were like the yeah, they were the favorite. I mean, they were the team yeah. that was oh, crushing the and, right. They were the whereas Golden State, you know, have kind of risen up and uh, this this fun style. No, no, I, I agree. Obviously, Chicago had some great athletes. I just think the mystique around the Bulls is different than the mystique around the Warriors. That's true. I mean, the Golden State has a bunch of Davids who can really play, whereas Chicago with 
Jordan and Pippen had two major Goliaths. Right. And you can make an argument when they added Rodman, they had the best rebounder in the world, too. So, they, I mean, they had three magnificent players for what they were. So I, I see where you're going there. I just uh, – it's fun to talk about, but I, I really enjoy the way Golden State plays. I think it's going to be a fun series to watch. And if you haven't watched the NBA like, like I had it for about 15 years, I would encourage everyone to at least watch the team play because they are – they are pretty exciting. It's, it's got me more interested in professional basketball than I've been in a long time. Jack, I really appreciate your time. I know you had a long day of travel, so thanks for making time for me tonight. Have a great time covering the Combine over the next couple of days, and I'll see you next week, man. Sounds like a plan, Reed. Thanks for having me on. That is Jack Michaels checking in tonight. Play-by-play voice for your Edmonton Oilers. You heard him calling a Connor McDavid game-winning goal in the intro to this very program. Of course, you can text 630-630. Just to, uh, want to keep you updated on the weather tonight. Uh, this texter, as of about uh, six minutes ago, says wind, rain, and ugly clouds with lightning west of Highway 2 on 13. And Trucker Rick says traffic southbound Highway 21 at Township Road 540 has stopped. I don't know if there's a further update to that, but uh, again, you can text 630-630 with sports stuff, and tonight uh, weather updates as well are always appreciated. 780-466-NEWS to get through to the newsroom. All right, uh, Drew Remenda ahead. Oh, Jason McKee from the Spruce Grove Saints is now the head coach of the Vancouver Giants. He's on tonight as well as we roll along. This is J.C. Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. All right, so J.C. Sheriff and the Eskimos going through training camp again. The uh, mock game tomorrow night. Fans, welcome to attend. I think it's going to start at around 6.15, goes until 8. I will have Inside Sports live from that game and Commonwealth Stadium tomorrow evening. Fan day is uh, Saturday afternoon at Clark. Dave Campbell will have more details on that later on in the show. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Reed Wilkins with you. It is 6.25. This portion of Inside Sports is presented by Action Furnace, home of the fixed right or its free guarantee. You can visit actionfurnace.ca. The next game in the Stanley Cup Final will be Saturday at 6. We'll have it for you right here on 6.30. Ched, the American Hockey League Final has Game 2 tomorrow. Lake Erie at Hershey. Lake Erie won the first game by the score of 4-1. Oilers news today. They have a new video Video coach Jeremy Kupel. He's 27 years old. He spent the last three seasons as the video coordinator with the Nashville Predators. Miles Fee, who had been the Oilers video coach, uh, leaving the organization to pursue other opportunities in his life. The Florida Panthers have unveiled new uniforms today. They are uh, red. Home uniform is red with black pants, a thick white stripe horizontally across the chest with the uh, Panther logo on the front. They have changed the logo. I guess it kind of looks almost like uh, it's sort of a Panther head type thing. Kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, a little bit of the BC Lions old logo. They, of course, have changed some things this year. Uh, so the Panthers will have a bit of a new look. All right, 7804960063 is the phone number. You can also text 63630. The Blue Jays are off today. They will play the Red Sox tomorrow. Oh, another hockey note. How about this? Kirk Muller decided not to return to the St. Louis Blues as an assistant coach. He has been named an associate coach for the Montreal Canadiens. Oh, but don't worry about looking over your shoulder, Michelle Therrien. 
Is, is it too soon to call it? Kirk Muller, the next head coach of the Montreal Canadiens. I think that's a pretty safe bet. Is Sidney Crosby a cheater? Logan Couture says that he is. Couture says Crosby cheats on faceoffs. My goodness. We'll discuss that. Hit on some other topics as well. Drew Remenda from Sportsnet up next inside Sports on Chet. This is Adarius Bowman from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Here's the bang after the faceoff, and the Penguins have it. Goes over now, the quick shot score, and Sheary with a goal, he wins it for the Penguins. Connor Sheary from the left wing circle side, shoots it in right by Jones, and the Penguins have won it, and ladies and gentlemen, Elvis, yes, Elvis has just left the building. All right, that was your game winner last night. Mike Lang with the call. The Penguins up 2-0 in the Stanley Cup Final. 2-1 the final last night. For the two games, the Penguins have outshot the Sharks 71-48. That, one, uh, that winning goal coming off a Sidney Crosby faceoff win. Logan Couture for the San Jose Sharks has said Crosby cheats on faceoffs. He says he times them, yet they don't kick him out for some reason, probably because of who he is. Penguins coach... Mike Sullivan says Crosby just being aggressive in the circle. You know, that's, that's all part of uh, being a center iceman and trying to figure out ways to get an edge and be successful. So uh, Sid's not doing anything that their guys aren't doing. It, quite honestly, it, it really isn't worthy of a response. You know, it's interesting. I'm sure Logan Couture is upset. Well, he should be upset. His team's down 2 nothing in the Stanley Cup final. they got to win four of the next five to win the series. Will not be easy. I, I just, I mean, look, the word there, there is there is cheating, and then there is out and out cheating. And, and I guess the difference is what Sidney Crosby is is doing in my mind is not cheating. It is whatever you want to call it, gamesmanship, finding that edge, you know, bending the rules. Yeah, d- does he use his swagger, his aura, his reputation to his advantage? I'm sure he does. In that situation, why wouldn't you? Cheating in my mind is what the New England Patriots have been accused of, where they, you know, hide the footballs and tamper with them and, and change them and, and try to, you know, be secretive about it. You know, cheating would be, uh, you know, going into the other team's dressing room and tampering with their equipment or out-and-out out stealing a playbook. I don't think what Sidney Crosby is doing is cheating. I don't think a uh, runner on second base figuring out what signs a catcher is using because he has a great view of them is, is cheating. I think there are little elements to the game that are trying to find an advantage but aren't out-and-out cheating as we bring in my old friend Drew Remenda, Oilers analyst from their broadcast on Sportsnet. Drew, how are you doing, buddy? I'm good, Reed. How are you? I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm doing great. I, good. I just have. I, I just don't think Sidney Crosby has, has, has cheated. I, I understand what Couture is saying. I think it's an advantage he's looking for. It's not a cheat. Well, I... I... I think we can get into an outstanding argument on the semantics of cheating. Um, if you, to me, if you are worth a damn as a center iceman in the National Hockey League, you better be cheating. You better be finding an edge. You better be trying to do whatever you can to win the faceoff. Um, if you look at the, what Sydney does, and let's let's not just completely discount the fact that 
he's out working on his game every single day. And that's let's not. And, and Sportsnet showed it uh, yesterday. He was at practice working on faceoffs with Eric Fair. Um, the Sharks, I know for a fact, they work on their faceoffs every day as well. Sidney Crosby's kicking their tails in the faceoff circle. Now, uh, usually, I don't get. In fact, almost always, when, when a player says something after a game um, that he lost, that his team lost, I don't take much with, as far as any grains of salt, what he says to the press. He's upset, he's emotional, and they'll give it 24 hours. I thought Mike Sullivan, who I had the great pleasure of coaching when I was in San Jose as an assistant coach, Mike was the original San Jose Shark, said it perfectly. And Mike was a pretty damn good centerman who knew how to, Knew how to, you know, get the edge. Sidney Crosby is. I, I thought the, I thought the, uh, the explanation from Logan was was almost comical, is not the word, but funny to me. Um, well, he's timing it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and what? So um, I think Logan's upset. I also think he's, and we know coaches do this. Reed, they're trying to, you know, get the the edge for the next game. You get the gamesmanship, as you, you called it, going back and forth. So you're trying to get the end of the refs or the linesman's ears. Um, but don't forget, that cuts both ways. If you're Sidney Crosby or if you're um, Logan Couture and you're complaining about face-offs and how guys cheat, don't forget, there's two teams on the ice and they'll be looking at your team just as hard as they're looking at Pittsburgh. Well, I think that's a great point, and that and that's that's the thing when uh, when teams get frustrated and get into this area, regardless of the sport, and they start complaining about, oh, this should be the standard, this should be the standard. Let's face it, I've never met uh, an official that likes to be called out publicly, um, the, especially at the highest level. They're generally a a confident group, to say the least, uh, <laughs> right? Yes. So, you know, it's funny too because. Uh, the Sharks and Logan should remember um, some ancient, not even ancient history, recent history. Um, the Sharks are playing the Vancouver Canucks in the playoffs, and it's, uh, the Sharks are up three games to none. And Kevin Bieksa comes out before game four and calls Logan Couture and Joe Thornton divers. Thought they were good Canadian boys. They're diving all over the place. Refs buying it. The refs are, 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 are calling the dives, and, he's, and he basically calls out well, he doesn't basically. He calls out Logan and Joe Thornton and the Sharks for diving and the referees. So that morning, I asked Todd McClellan the question, what do you think of Kevin BX's comments in the, press, in the presser? And he said, well, I really don't think much of them, but what would bother me is if I would be an NHL official. Because even though he's questioning my players, we'll handle that part. But he's also questioning the integrity of the NHL referees, like you're just talking about. And lo and behold, that night, the uh, for game four, the, the um, Canucks are up one goal. Guess who takes a penalty on Logan Couture? Kevin Bieksa. Guess what Logan Couture does? Scores the tying goal. And then guess what happens in overtime? Another penalty, bad call, on Sedin. And guess who scores the winning goal? Well, Pepe was actually right. guess who assisted on the winning goal? Joe Thornton. So you should remain that 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 history should stay in your head because that type of commenting on the referees, as you said, the confident group, uh, nobody likes to have their integrity questioned ever, and the referees are no exception to that rule. Yeah, and you know, you you said we could get into a a, a long discussion about the semantics of of, of cheating, and I, we could all, we could probably get into an equally long discussion about the player-coach relationship with officials uh, in any sport. And to me, Drew, one of, the, one of the more interesting relationships that I've ever been able to witness is, is I spent six seasons um, doing 
play-by-play for U of A basketball. Yeah. And, and we used to be set up right next to the home team bench. Um, so that meant seeing a lot of interaction between, for a few years, Don Horwood. And I know even though you've been a hockey guy, yeah. everybody knows who, who Don yeah. Horwood is. But, but, but the one thing, the, the, the interesting thing is one thing you always hear is, I mean, fans often get mad about, um, you know, you know, fans, they always feel, well, my, my, you know, my team got, got hosed, right? That's what yeah, they always yeah. get mad about. That, that yeah. should have been a penalty. What, what I find coaches often say to referees is, okay, you just called that on my guy, and you're right, that was a penalty by the book. But I saw the other guy, the other team, do it a minute ago. That, that's often the argument from, from coaches to officials. And, and the coaches to officials, what they're doing is they are lobbying for that next call. We can all agree right. on that. Right. Next call and trying to get the advantage for their team. Um, and the only time officials will really get ticked off is, again, when you question their ethics or the question their, their, um, um, their um, ability to call the game the right way. I mean, that's the only time when you start attacking them personally, they will be all over you. If you're, as you said, you attack their integrity – they are going to be really ticked off. And guess what? Calls aren't going to go your way. Most coaches in the NHL, in fact, almost all of them are really smart that way. Uh, Todd McClellan, one of the best coaches in that regard, as a matter of fact. And if you ask all the referees, you talk to any of the referees, they, will, they have exceptional things to say about Todd McClellan and how he talks to them. Yeah, he barks at them every once in a while. He'll, he'll give them that look of, oh, you've got to be kidding. You made that friggin' call on me. But <laughs> for the most part, almost always, he treats them with nothing but respect, and they give them that respect back. Drew Romenda joining us inside sports on 6.30. Chet, it is 6.42. The Stanley Cup final will uh, resume on Saturday. The NBA finals, they insist on putting an S on, on the end of it, even though there's just one game at a time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll start in about 20 minutes, and uh, and we'll keep you updated. Um, the, the, I mentioned the shots in the series are 71-48 yep. in favor of the Pittsburgh Penguins. It was a uh, uh, certainly a dreary about 45 minutes for the Sharks last night, I thought, Drew. I, I think that the Sharks are having trouble playing a speed game, Reed, and it's very impressive when you watch Pittsburgh. When you watch Pittsburgh against Tampa Bay, you, it was a fast series, great pace to the series, but you didn't realize Pittsburgh was that fast because Tampa Bay's that fast or that quick. They're, they're very good, so you so you're watching it, you're understanding it's a very quick game, but you don't see the exceptional speed until Pittsburgh goes up against a, an average team. I, like, I don't think San Jose's slow. I think they try to play quick, but they don't have the foot speed from top to bottom in their lineup. And um, Joe Thornton, Joe Pavelski, Logan Couture, um, the defense overall for the uh, San Jose Sharks have trouble playing that speed game. And the speed game is, is when, when you talk about that, there's, there's so many things that go into it. But when we think speed game, we're thinking as soon as they get it, they're on the transition, they're on the attack, which they do very well, Pittsburgh. But they don't lose their pace when they enter the zone. They don't slow up. They can, they, they, that pace almost picks up as they attack the, the net. But the other parts where that speed or quickness game, this is Todd McClellan's saying all the time, think quick, not fast. And so when you're quick to lose pucks, when you're quick to those 50-50 pucks, when you are quick coming back into your back check, that back pressure allows the forwards to stand up. So the, the quickness or the speed of the Pittsburgh Penguins not only, of course, is a bonus or you know, is a weapon offensively, but defensively it is as well because then you start taking away that time and space very quickly on 
good, skilled players like Joe Thornton, who loves to slow the game down and who drives that line with Pavelski and Hurdle. If you start to slow that, if you're able to take that pay, that that extra second away from Joe, all of a sudden Joe starts getting upset and and he can't make the play. And you, you've seen Joe in the first two games uh, frustrated, frankly, um, doing all the, the cross-checking and punching and slapping the helmet off Crosby. Um, that's, that's Joe being frustrated, and that team can't get going because that quickness is dominating the series for the Pittsburgh Penguins on every aspect and in every zone of the ice. All right, Drew, before I let you go, uh, since we were talking about officiating, you're a, you're an old coach. Uh, I know we've talked about your Lloydminster Lancers. By the way, I went out to Lloyd for the RBC Cup. Did you go off there? Yeah, I, don't know if I, I told I you that. Done it. Yeah, great stuff. Uh, you ever get tossed out of a game? Oh yeah. 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 In uh, Cincinnati, I got tossed out of a game. I was uh, uh, coaching um, uh, Kansas City Blades IHL, and we had scored on a faceoff, as a matter of fact, um, and we were start. We had lost nine of ten or something like that. And uh, won the draw, bang in the net. We go back to center ice. Everybody celebrates. Blah blah blah. We go back to center ice, and all of a sudden, referee goes over the penalty box, says something, and then goes skates over center ice and waves the goal off. And I'm looking for an explanation. He comes over and he says, "The other guys weren't ready." Pardon oh. me. So the other team wasn't ready. I said, "Are you freaking kidding me?" And he goes, "I didn't say freaking." I said, "You're kidding me." And he went. No, the other team wasn't ready, so we're going to redo it. We're going to reset the clock and, re- and drop the puck again. I said, wait a second. It dropped. They had acted. We, we scored. And so now I'm starting to get hot because we've lost a lot of games in a row. And um, so I lose the argument. Again, we're going to drop the puck again. Drop the puck again. We win the draw. Clean and simple. Boom. Off the crossbar. And so I grab the nearest water bottle, and I fired at the referee all the way across the ice, and it hits him in the, in the foot, and I get the boot. <laughs> and I yelled at him, were you ready then? I'm yelling across, I was going across the ice. Are you ready then? Were you ready then? <laughs> I uh, I made an ass of myself, and shortly after that, I was fired. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, uh, you had an argument, but, yeah, you don't, you don't, a coach doesn't often survive a water bottle toss, whether it's no, justified when you or throw not. The water bottle, when you throw the water bottle, it's uh, it's it's this thing, you're, you're going to get tossed. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Drew, it's always great to have you on the show, man. Thanks for the stories. Thanks for some of your insight. Uh, really appreciate your time, buddy. We'll talk again soon. Okay, buddy. Bye. That is Drew Men to check it in tonight. Of course, you get him on all the Oilers TV broadcasts throughout the season on sports. I love having him on the show. Man, that, <laughs> wasn't there that uh, Patrick Waugh? I don't remember what year it was. He got, he was, he was uh, fixing his padding or something, and he took his gloves off, and there was a neutral zone face-off, and he hadn't quite got his gloves back onto his liking and the other team scored and he started flipping out the goal counted and then didn't he make fun of it in a commercial later on I think where he was like it's not fair I wasn't ready when some was like a little kid scored on him or something like that anyway that, that's that's a new one that Drew told that actually looked like the goal was going to stand the ref talks to the guy in the penalty box and then says oh no we're waving it off the other team wasn't ready you can text 630-630 the phone number is 780-496-0063 if you've ever been tossed out of a game as a coach, you can anonymously let me know. I won't embarrass anybody. Uh, <laughs> we'll uh, have a couple coaches on the show as we move along, both from the Canadian Hockey League. Jason McKee leaving the Spruce Grove Saints to go coach the Vancouver Giants, and Rocky Thompson used to work for the Edmonton Oilers. He's now the head coach of the Windsor Spitfires. He has three highly ranked players coming up for the draft. They are both ahead on Inside Sports.
This is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. All right, that's your quarterback, Mike Riley, ready to rock and roll. Yeah, lots of uh, good fan activities for the Eskimos uh, supporters over the next couple of days. The mock game tomorrow night, fan day at Clark, 1 o'clock Saturday afternoon. And uh, what, next Saturday, June 11th, we have a preseason game coming your way right here on 630. Chad, the regular season starts Saturday, June 25th against the Ottawa Red Blacks. Uh... And we'll have the NHL draft June 24th and 25th as well. So tons of uh, sports coming up this month here, and we're bringing you the Stanley Cup Finals as well. This texter says, uh, <laughs> I, I asked if uh, anybody had a, an experience of uh, being kicked out of a game as a coach. Uh, and I will keep it anonymous. I actually don't know if this individual has ever texted the show before. I don't recognize the number. Uh, had a guy go past my bench on his butt and paddling his canoe after his team made it 7-2 in our barn. Okay, so the guy scores and uh, does an excessive goal celebration in front of the other team's bench. The texter goes on to say, he stayed on the ice, and I, of course, as the home team, had last change. I put out five defensemen. The ref, with his hand still in the air, said, are you sure? I said, drop the puck. The ref did. And all hell broke loose. I just walked off the bench because I knew I was gone. <laughs> ah, yes. The uh, <laughs> Starting a line brawl. Like, basically the ref was like, are you sure you want to start this line brawl? And this, this coach was like, yes, I am, sir. And he, he knew he was getting thrown out. Uh... Mike, uh, this is a text from Mike who says, uh, I've never played structured hockey, just pond hockey, but uh, isn't what Crosby's doing on faceoffs what you're supposed to do? As an adult, I would be totally working for the perfection of anticipating the drop of the puck that would completely include the timing of when the linesman drops the puck. Players get to know the inner workings of each other. Forwards learn the timing of goalies. Uh, and as a centerman, wouldn't you pay attention and learn the timing of the linesman? Go Crosby. That's for perfection, not because I'm a Pittsburgh fan. That's from Mike. Well, I think Couture also saying that Crosby, you know, a lot of times the the Lions will say, okay, let's go, or I'm going to drop it, drop it, and Crosby will sort of wait and, and delay with a little bit of gamesmanship. And I think Couture saying usually a guy might get tossed out, or as we've seen, you see it a few times a year, where one centerman isn't ready and the linesman finally says, enough, I'm not waiting for you anymore, and just drops it in and it's an easy win for the other guy. And I think Couture's bigger point is saying that no linesman would dare do that to Sidney Crosby, whereas if it was a uh, lesser-known center, a rookie center, maybe he would just be uh, have that face-off sacrifice that way. But... Uh, I mean, look, I, I think generally, though, that, that, that Mike is right. Crosby is doing what he's supposed to do. He's trying to find an advantage, not just with the timing of the puck, but making everything go at his pace and, and making the linesman wait a little bit, making the other guy wait a little bit with his stick down, assessing the situation. And look, does he get what he wants? Because he's a star player? Yes, he probably does. I think that every every league and every sport has that element to it. And, and you, I know some of you are going to say it's not right, but I, I think it does happen. The stars get away with stuff. And that's why you go to a game. 
right, as a fan or while you watch a game on TV, and even if you're neutral, and I get the sense a lot of you are neutral when it comes to Pittsburgh-San Jose series, judging by the uh, TV ratings, so a lot of you aren't even watching it, but <laughs> but uh, you, you want to see, you want you want to have that play where you're going to remember and this might be the most memorable moment of a very forgettable playoff season for Canadian fans. One day you want to say, do you remember when Crosby called that face-off play right before the game-winning goal in overtime? I mean, he went up to Sheary and said, I'm going to win it back to Latang. You get into the open, and Latang will feed you, and you fire it in. Now, Crosby joked after. He said, I called 25 plays last night, so I was wrong on 24. But that that's the one that's the one you're going to remember. And it's... I mean, like I said, you, you go to see the star players, which, which brings up another sort of offshoot debate about this. Low-scoring game last night. There there was not a lot of... Uh, I, I didn't think... I, I, I didn't think there were a lot of great offensive chances in this game. I know Mark Spector from, from Sportsnet, who's on this station once a week with Bob on Oilers Now, put out there, uh, you know, we're 45 minutes in, neither goalie's had to stand on his head, not good enough NHL. Spectre directing this at the NHL, saying that this has become a league without or with with not enough offense that that needs more offense. And and I got thinking about that a little bit. And I I know with hockey, okay. Let me ask you a question: As you're sitting there listening or driving around or whatever you're doing, what's the correct final score in a hockey game? Well, there's no right answer to that. What, should a game end 7-6? Should it end 4-1? What should it be? And I, and I know the common thinking is it's scoring chances. It's action, not goals. And, I, I, and I've, I've always supported that point of view, but I'm now more and more starting to think, I don't, I don't know if that's true. I, I think it is scoring. L- let me give you an example. We can all agree the, the, the mightiest of all the pro sports leagues in North America, the absolute juggernaut of them all, is the National Football League. It's, it's got the hype. It's got the interest. It's got a lot of you gambling on it or playing fantasy football, all that kind of stuff. The NFL, everything that they do is to increase scoring. They have never said, oh, it's about yardage and first downs, not points. They're saying, no, it's about points. We want more points. We, we, don't, we don't want a game that's 34-20 with five minutes left. We don't want fans shutting that game off because they think there's no chance a team's going to score two touchdowns and tie it or get a two-point convert and win or whatever. They, they, they want points. So I, I, I think the NHL maybe should receive this message. It's I, I don't know if it is about scoring chances. I think it's about actual goals. Do you leave an Oilers game? saying, oh, I really appreciate the five shots on goal Connor McDavid had tonight. No, you want to leave the rink saying, I really appreciate the three points he had. Plays that actually resulted in goals. Anyway, I'll expand on this a bit more. You can chime in. Text 630-630. Phone number 780-496-0063. News and weather coming up. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.